came across something I thought you might enjoy. 68-year-old Mr. Johnson, a multimillionaire, also a widow. He wasn't feeling well, so he went to the doctor. The doctor gave him a thorough checkup and sent Mr. Johnson on his way. Several months later, that doctor saw Mr. Johnson at the country club. But Mr. Johnson had a young 30-year-old blonde hanging all over him. So the doctor walked up and said, wow, Mr. Johnson, you must be feeling a whole lot better. He said, yes, doc, I am. And he said to the doctor, I'm just trying to follow your orders. And the doctor said, well, what orders are they? Mr. Johnson said, well, doc, you said after my checkup to go find a hot mama and be cheerful. He said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs) Some of you will catch that at Easter lunch. Oh, see, old Mr. Johnson, he went to the doctor, and he heard what he wanted to hear. So many times we come to church, and the Holy Spirit, the great physician, will whisper to you something. I don't want you to hear what you want to hear. I want you to hear it exactly the way he wants to give it to you. Amen? Man, I want to speak to you on the power of Easter, who needs a Savior. And I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 1 through 8. Dr. Luke is describing to us what happened on that first day. It's an amazing, an amazing story. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Oh, I wish Christians would still live that way. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. Listen, if Easter says anything to us, friend, it's that Jesus will always be with us. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. The pyramids of Egypt, they're famous because they contain the mummified bodies of the Egyptian kings. I was watching a series on the History Channel, and they brought in all these high-tech cameras to look into these tombs of King Tut to see if there was anything in it. And sure enough, there were bones still in those caskets. So those pyramids are famous now because they contain the mummified bodies of Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London is renowned because in it rest the dead bodies of the English nobles and queens of the great English Empire. How about Mohammed's tomb? It's famous for the stone coffin and the bones that still contained. And people who want to go and worship Mohammed, they go and kneel at that tomb where his body is encased. Here in the United States, Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is a revered place for honoring the resting place of our American heroes, men and women who have given their lives for the cause of freedom. It's very moving to go stand out in front of the tomb of the unknown soldier and thank them for what they did for freedom. 
However, there's another famous place. It's called the Garden Tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem. And it's famous because it's empty. Oh, you didn't catch it. It's famous because it's empty. He is no longer there. He is risen. And he is risen indeed. And of all the names on earth today, one name is more powerful than any other. Millions of people around the world know this name has the power to change lives, save lost souls, heal sick bodies, and give people eternal life. There's only one name in that name that is above every name. Pastor said it in the scripture he read. At the mention of that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess according to the glory of God the Father. Of course, we are speaking about the name of Jesus. And friend, there came a time in my life when I realized I couldn't make it on my own. I had to decide and ask myself if there was someone who could help me. I began to look for a savior. I realized that I had grown up in church all my life, and it was either going to be because of mom and dad, or I made my own choice. And I realized that I couldn't handle life on my own. So I began to look for a savior. Today, wherever you go, no matter the social class, from politicians to professors, from housewives to Hollywood stars, even people whose homes are breaking up and they're headed for divorce court, this generation is crying out by their actions, we need a savior. We need a savior. Some of the most rebellious and argumentative young people today are now saying by their actions, I need a savior. I can't make it on my own. The most critical minds are now agreeing that things are out of order, that it seems like everything is topsy-turvy in our nation and around the world. It seems like we hear the experts talking, and all they're saying is global warming on some stations and how we're running out of natural gas and we're running out of natural oil. And then you turn to another, and they say, no, 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 Uh, uh, global warming is a hoax. There's nothing there. We've got plenty of oil. We've got plenty of natural gas. And it leaves the people saying, well, what's real? What's the truth? See, even the most brilliant minds who seem to have so much confidence in their own ability are now saying by their actions and their contradictions, I need a savior. In fact, at one point or another, every single person will ask the question, who can save me? Who really can save me? They're beyond the point of handling life on their own, and they finally admit, I need a Savior. I'm beyond the point of handling life. I've tried it on my own, and it's just too difficult. And while people who do not believe in God, or so they say, may be coming to the conclusion that they need a Savior, they are still searching. Do you agree with me that right now America is searching for answers? America is searching for for what is the truth? The millennium generation, they're saying, we can get a latte anywhere. We don't need a latte when we come to church. We need the truth. We're getting our life handed to us, and literally we're getting beaten out there. We need the truth. Now, they're willing to acknowledge that somebody or something needs to rescue them, but they don't recognize the true rescuer. Their minds are too convoluted with all the cultures of life. One of the things that life has shown us is we definitely know what a Savior is not. We know what a Savior is not. We know that it's not silver and gold, houses and lands. 
We know this because people with silver and gold, houses and lands, are committing suicide and drowning themselves in Jack Daniels. And they're saying, we need a savior. We need a savior. Several years ago, we were all caught off guard when Robin Williams committed suicide. I love his movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a great movie. And I told the first service or the second, that Mrs. Doubtfire reminded me of your lead pastor. Because she's always there to meet all the needs. And she's always there to love on them. And, and he was trying to show this you know, in his life. And yet, he was miserable inside. Here's what Robin Williams said, and I quote. He said, I used to think that the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. But that's not the worst thing. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. Wow. How about Kate Spade? Multimillionaire. She has an amazing clothesline. All the purses that the young people want or that ladies want, got to get a Kate Spade. It was the hottest thing at one time, you know, and go to Target and you got to get Kate Spade. Oh, excuse me, Target. <clears throat> My wife calls it Target. A little more fancy that way. And yet, here's what she said. She said, I fear the future and I, now, I fear the future and I now realize I cannot buy the future. I need someone to walk with me through the dark paths of life. I'm shaking inside. Kate Spade, she followed Robin Williams in hanging herself the way he did. And I can go through many, many more examples of people who had silver and gold, houses and lands, and they're saying, I'm still empty inside. Now, I want to discuss the matter of having the best Savior. I'm not suggesting that there are plenty of saviors. I know there is only one, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. But being ignorant of God's righteousness, men have gone about to establish a wide variety of so-called saviors, and those have many followers. <coughs> so I ask you, why not the best one? Why not test those who say they are the savior? After all, you're going to choose one. Why not choose the best one? Why not test the ones that people are putting their faith in? <coughs> Excuse me. It makes good sense. Thank you, brother. It makes good sense since you need a Savior and you're going to pick one. So I began to think about an eternal question. An eternal question means the answer to that question has a bearing on all of your tomorrows. So here's the question. What are the qualifications of a Savior? After all, what qualifies someone to say, I'm the Savior? What quantifies someone to say, I'm the Messiah? So I began to make a list for me. It might not be for you, but it's for me. First, I need a Savior who will be everlasting. I need a Savior who will be everlasting. The everlasting Father. See, that phrase literally means Father of Eternity. That is a clear reference to the biblical truth that Christ is the creator of heaven and the creator of earth. See, please understand, nothing is too complex for the creator and sustainer of everything. Because we're living in a day of ultra-sensationalism. 
We're living in a day where you have to always outdo the next person. And it seems like there's always chaos and things are more complex than they've ever been. However, in God's government, it's real simple and it's not complicated. Jesus is the sole ruler. There's no bloated bureaucracy in heaven. There is no fake news in heaven. There's no confusion in heaven. He said, that I, he said, I did not come to bring a spirit of fear, but of love, joy, peace, and a sound mind. That's the kind of Savior I need. I need the kind of Savior. He knows the end from the beginning because he's the father of eternity. Did you hear what I said? He's the father of eternity. He knows the beginning and the end. The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that he formed you wonderfully and he knits you together in your mother's womb. That means he selected your hair color or the lack of your hair. As I get older, I thank him for it. He selected who you are. He knits you wonderfully together. The book of Proverbs says that the womb of the mother is the workshop of God. That's why we protect the unborn child. Life begins at conception. That's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. He knew you. You're not an accident. He formed you. That's the kind of Savior I need. I need the kind of Savior who knew me before I was nothing. And then he formed me and he intricately made me. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. He intercedes for you with the knowledge of who you are or who you were. He knows the little girl in you. He knows the little boy in you. He knows all the difficulties that you had growing up in your family. And now you're 40 years old and you squash down all the hurt and all the pain. And you don't want to think about it. But he knows of those things. He knows because he searches you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the mind and the heart. He knows the inner child. He knows the young man. He knows the adult now. You see, the Holy Spirit intercedes with knowledge of what you were, who you are, and what you're going to be. That's the kind of Savior I need. I need a Savior who is everlasting. I don't know about you, but I, I'm talking about what I need. Well, you might need it as well. So I'll say it again. I need a Savior who will be everlasting. I don't want to get all tied up with someone then have the Savior die on me. It must be an awful feeling to have to go to your Savior's funeral. Elisha Muhammad boasted, the nation of Islam, he was the leader of the nation of Islam, and Elijah Muhammad boasted so much that he was the prophet sent from God. It must have been a sad day for his followers when thousands of young people in Chicago, Illinois, watched 12 young men pass his casket to the grave, and Elijah Muhammad, he never got up. He never got up. I don't want to get wrapped up in a man who beats me dying. I don't want somebody who will run out on me before I die. I need somebody who can walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death because they have been there themselves. They've conquered death, hell, and the grave, and then come back to show me how to get to the other side without so much as a wrinkle or a scratch. Jesus the Christ was crucified on Good Friday, 
They laid him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then the Holy Spirit, three days later, invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. He went in on Friday as the Lamb of God came out on Sunday as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is alive. He's the everlasting Father. If you believe that, clap your hands and praise him. Would you say with me, that's the kind of Savior I need? Come on, let's say it. That's the kind of Savior I need. The resurrection of Christ is paramount doctrine to Christianity. It is the event that proves to us that Jesus was and is and forever will be who he claimed to be, the Son of the living God. He is the Son of the living God. Friends, the life of Christ is a fact of history. Archaeology right now is screaming out that Jesus lived in, in Jerusalem. In fact, they're, un, they're uncovering all kinds of artifacts now. I was watching another show on the History Channel that they just uncovered a throne area where Caiaphas would have stood with Jesus. They came up with a stone, a pillar that has the name Pontius Pilate on it. We know that Jesus, history is screaming out that Jesus actually walk this planet. Now, what many people don't realize is that just as sure as we know he walked this planet, did you know his resurrection is as widely reported as his actual existence? There were many eyewitness accounts of Christ being alive after his burial. Mary saw Jesus at the tomb. A few disciples saw him before the whole group did in Acts 1, 3, and 9. A couple of men on their way On the road to Emmaus, they walked and they talked with the master. Even a large group of people, numbering 500, saw Jesus after the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8. There were some at that time that they tried to explain the resurrection as a figment of the imagination of the minds of the followers of Christ. And they said things like, well, I bet the disciples stole the body. I bet that they were all just wishing it happened. And so they just kind of thought, well, maybe we saw him. Well, I would buy that if it was one or two people. But the Bible tells us over 500 people saw him. And the apostle went on to say many of them are still alive at this writing. And they could testify that they saw Christ after the resurrection. Oh, friends, Jesus is alive and he's well. And if you're going to be called a savior, you have to have conquered death, hell, and the grave. You have to have the keys of death, hell in your hands. So first, I need a savior who will be everlasting. Second, I need a savior with the kind of power that can heal a crippled man. How about you? In Acts 4, a great miracle has happened in the healing of a disabled man. And the questions begin to circulate. And the people in the crowd begin to ask, How did this happen? By what power did this happen? How is it that this crippled man is healed and standing before us? In fact, when you read the whole narrative, they began to say, who did you call? Was it a governor? Was it a mayor? Then Peter stood up and he proclaimed the gospel. In Acts 4 and 10, he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I love that he gets that in there whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead by this man is standing before you this well. It is he that did this healing. And then he goes on to say, now to be truthful with you, there is only one name and one authority can perform a miracle such as this. That name is Jesus. Jesus. That's the kind of Savior I need. That's the kind of Savior we all need. I need a Savior. Barbara Walters interviewed the Dalai Lama. She told him that many people are calling him the Messiah and looking to him as God. Well, he smiled and he said, I'm still trying to find my way through this life. The Dalai Lama said, I'm still trying to find my way through this life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Barbara Walters then said, well, what do you say to the thousands of people who believe you are God? He answered, if I'm God, why do I still have to wear glasses? That should have been a Scooby-Doo moment for Barbara Walters. For those of you who are my age and a little older, you understand. I love it. If I am a God, why do I have to still wear glasses? Listen, friend, before you pick a savior, before you decide whom you will follow and put your faith in, like the Dalai Lama or like Buddha or Mohammed, you'd better check out their track record. I need a savior with the kind of power that can heal a crippled man. I need a savior that can make the blind to see like blind Bartimaeus. I need a savior who can cleanse the lepers and make them new again. In the words of the apostle Peter, now to be truthful with you, there's only one name and one authority that can perform such a miracle. That name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and he has risen from the dead. Third, if you want to pick the best savior... Don't you think he ought to be old enough? I mean, really. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end. Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And Hebrews 13 and 8 tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have to have a Savior who was available to my parents and my grandparents, and my great-great-grandparents, and their parents, and so on, and so on, and so on, all the way back to the beginning of time. Well, Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the God that said, Let there be light, and there was light. If I had the time, I could teach you how the Trinity was seen in the creation. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit moving together. We are Trinitarian in belief. Oh, Jesus is risen. Friends, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen, I can't trust these so-called saviors who, just because they look strange and act peculiar, suggest they can save me or help me. Some of you will remember on November 18, 1978, a man by the name of Jim Jones, a self-proclaimed Messiah, he took 909 people to Jamestown, Guyana, Africa. 
and he convinced them that he was the Messiah. And they began to drink Kool-Aid, and he was saying, if you want to follow me into eternity, then you'll kill you. And 909 people committed suicide believing this man was the Messiah. I can't trust these so-called Messiahs. They want me to drink the strange Kool-Aid just because they're a little weird. No, I need a Savior older than this generation, one who was before the beginning, one by whom everything was made, and without him, nothing is made. Fourth, I need a Savior when I ask him his name. He simply says, I am. I am. God was sending Moses to his half-brother Ramses II. Ramses believed he was a transcendent God. The pharaohs of Egypt believed they were gods. And so the God of all the universe is sending his spokesman, and he says to him, Moses, go and tell him that I want you to let my people go. And Moses says, but Lord, if they ask me who sent me, what do I say? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The great I am. I need a savior who is everything I will ever need. And God saw everything I would need. He's the omniscient God. That means all-knowing God. And he said, Randy, I'm not going to give you a specific name. I'm just going to say, I am. What do you need? Do you need a healer? He says, I am the all-sufficient one. You need peace? He says, I am the prince of peace. What do you need? I need a savior who is not a graduate of a seminary, not a graduate of philosophy, and not a follower of some teacher. To that, God says, I am the all-knowing, omniscient God. In 1 John 3.20, it tells us, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows everything. Isaiah 40 and 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of earth, the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He under, his understanding is unsearchable. I need a God who's unsearchable. That's the kind of Savior I need. How about you? I need the I am. Not someone who came out of nowhere and did something mystic and strange and now asked me to follow them as the Savior. No, no, no. I need someone who is acquainted with all the generations and with all of time. He says, I am. A Savior who was and is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That means he was the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He says, I am. I need a Savior who will never change. I need a Savior who can deal with all the aspects of living and learning. I need someone who knows how to deal with my broken heart. I need a Savior who knows my uniqueness. I need a Savior who knows me intimately. I need a Savior who knows all of my stuff, who knows all of my complications, who knows all of your complications, because you know you're complicated. And when I ask you in the lobby, how's it going, and you say, it's complicated. And I'll say to you, the reason it's complicated is because the choices you made have made it complicated. Well, yes, that's true. And he knows 
the complication. For the Holy Spirit, he is the great psychiatrist. He is the great physician. He knows already the intricate things of who you are. And he's interceding with that wisdom and knowledge on your behalf. In fact, the scripture says he groans in intercession for you. When you've gone through something that should have taken you out, that car accident should have killed you. And yet you're saying, how did I make it? It's because the Spirit of God, the Savior, deep down in your heart, if you're a child of God, was interceding on your behalf. He was holding you up and propping you up. And the Bible says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Deep down inside of your heart, there's a prayer going on. Oh, and you're at work saying, welcome to McDonald's. You want French fries with that? And you got a mask on, and you don't want to let anybody know that on the inside you're crumbling. The devil should have taken you out, but somehow you've been propped up. How? Because I have a Savior that's interceding on my behalf. And when the devil comes in like a flood, he holds up a standard against it. That's the kind of Savior I need. Does anybody else need a Savior like that? That's who he is. I need someone who knows how to deal with the lonely hours of my life. And he knows how to speak to me in those lonely hours. Oh, listen, I love my wife. We've been married be 30 years in November. She was my junior high school sweetheart. She knows me better on this planet besides God than anybody else. But do you know there are times in my life that she just can't meet every need? And when I teach marriage conferences and I, and I counsel with married people, the, one of the main problems in our marriages is that we are putting too much expectation on our spouse. And we're expecting them to meet every need in our life. While speaking at a men's conference for promise keepers, I had a young man come up to me and he said, Pastor, you got a minute? I said, sure. He says, I, I got a problem. I don't think my wife loves me. I said, Really? And big old tears, big old husky guy, big old tears started rolling down his face. He says, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't even know if we're in love. And I said, do you know why you, you, you feel that way? He said, why? I said, because you can't generate love. He said, excuse me? I said, no, the Bible teaches that the source of all love is Christ. And you can't generate love. So you have to unplug from your spouse and plug into Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and go to him to meet every need and not put that much weight on your spouse. And the very moment you do that, uh, a weight will be lifted because the power of Easter tells us the Savior of the world is risen from the grave. He is the progenitor of love. And suddenly the love of God will begin to fill you. And he'll give you a love for your spouse. Well, that's the kind of Savior I need. And there are times that as much as I love my wife and she knows me, I've got to find a quiet place every day with me and God to just plug into him, to the resurrected Savior, and say, Lord, I need you to instruct me about life. I need someone who knows how to instruct me not only about life, but about my marriage and my family and give me inside information. I need someone who knows how to instruct me about life, who's not guessing, and who doesn't have to read the book to figure me out or figure out what's wrong with me because he is the book. He is the word, and the word became flesh. That's the kind of Savior I need. 
Does anyone else by an upraised hand need that kind of Savior? Or am I the only one on Easter morning? I don't need somebody who takes my problems and runs to the library for answers. I need somebody who is the library, who is the book. I need somebody who can stand up and talk to my spirit as the author and the finisher and the perfecter of my faith. That's what I really need when I talk about a Savior. I need a Savior that can walk into my life in the midst of the storms of my life, in the storms of my relationships, in the storms of raising adult children, in the storms of having to try relationships with families. Because how many of you know families know exactly how to crank your tractor? They know how to tap dance on your last nerve. And I need someone that can walk into my life in the storms and say, peace be still to the storm, and just like the winds and the waves, they obey him. That's the kind of Savior I need. When my marriage is under attack and my business is facing hard choices, I need the wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Friends, understand, with Christ there is no confusion. He is a wonderful counselor. Now, in the King James Version, it separates wonderful and counselor with a little comma, but I like to put them together because the words just seem to have so much more power when you say them together, wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Today, we're witnessing in Washington, D.C., that American politicians and the political system, they need a wonderful counselor. How many say amen to that? I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of all the garbage and the lack of honor on both sides of the aisle. I believe that we need an outpouring of God's spirit in this nation. Because when you compare the greatest social or political leaders with Jesus Christ, you'll find there's no comparison at all. During his incarnation, Christ demonstrated his wisdom as a counselor. He blew the minds of the great teachers at 12 years old as he's teaching in the temple. And they're saying, how in the world could this happen? At what manner is this? They didn't realize that 12 years earlier, he was deity in diapers. Now rising up to be deity as a young man. God Almighty, that's what makes him so wonderful. He's all man, yet he's all God. He's so loving. He's the everlasting Father. That's the kind of Savior I need. I need Jesus. You're no different than the rest. Just like me, you need the same thing. How about I need a God that is the mighty God? If you're going to be my Savior, You've got to be the mighty God. Jesus, the Messiah's kingdom, is free from chaos because he's the mighty God. He's the one who in creation brought order out of chaos. See, Scripture says, God is not a God of confusion but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. Chaos is a direct opposition to who he is. He's a God of order. Christ the king is orderly, and he brings order to the troubled lives of all who surrender to him. In other words, it's not only 
that he's the wonderful counselor, but since he's the mighty God, when you go to the altar for counseling or when you shut yourself alone with him and he counsels you, since he's the mighty God, he also gives you the power to fulfill what he's counseled you to do. And that comes in the form of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he gives you that power to walk through the counseling. Oh, that's the kind of Savior I need. I need somebody that can not only tell me what to do, but to give me the power to do it. Listen, friend, before you pick a Savior, before you decide whom you'll put your faith in, you need to check out their track record and ask some difficult questions. You need to ask, who else has risen from the dead? Who else has he saved? Well, wait a second. Are there millions out there whose lives he's changed? Yes. How many others had him wipe their tears away? Has he picked up the heavy-hearted or walked through the stormy seas with anyone else? Well, I'm sure there's many in this room that can say yes. Is there anyone here who can testify that this Jesus of Nazareth, who God raised from the dead, has the name by which man has been made whole? Well, who else heals the blind? Who else told Lazarus, come forth? Had to use Lazarus' name so that the whole graveyard didn't stand and get up. If he would have just said, come forth, they all would have come hopping out of the grave, blown all over his mind. Jesus says something amazing at the tomb of Lazarus. He looks up to heaven and he says, Father, thank you that you have heard me, past tense. Which means he knew he was going to raise him and he'd been praying for it already. Past tense. Which tells us that when we need a miracle, you need to be thanking God in advance for the miracle before you even see the miracle take place. So many times people will say, well, pastor, I'll thank God for the miracle when it happens. Or I'll thank God when my business turns around. Or I'll thank God when he brings me Mr. Right. Or I'll thank God when he brings me Mrs. Right. Or I'll thank God when I finally get healed of cancer. To you, I say, after 31 years or so of ministry, no, you won't. Because human nature is so much that your heart will grow hard and callous because the life is just so difficult. And if you don't learn how to thank God in advance before the miracle, when the miracle comes, you won't recognize as a miracle. So Jesus says, Father, thank you that you heard me. And, bro, don't you know those people sitting at that grave probably thought, he's lost his mind. In fact, Lazarus' sister said, he stinketh. That's the King James Version, you know. He stinketh. He's been dead four days. He stinks. Some of you have got things you've been carrying this Easter Sunday that stinks in your nostrils, and you've been carrying it for years. Dead things on Easter live again. Dead joy, dead peace, dead relationships. And I want you on this Easter Sunday morning to come again to know the power of resurrection. To begin to say, Lord, thank you that you heard me. See, every one of us have a secret graveyard somewhere in our life. 
something that we prescribe to David's death. Maybe it's a relationship that you think will never be healed. Maybe it's a dream that God gave you that you think will never be fulfilled. Maybe it's a, a something in your healing that you're saying it'll never happen, and you, you scribed upon it the day of his death, and you walked away. But the apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, which tells me I can not only know Jesus for eternal life, but I can come to know the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power that brings life out of dead things. Maybe you're praying for a child that's not saved and you've given up. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's time to start praying again for new life. That's the kind of Savior I need. I need a Savior who still has power to raise dead things back to life again. Jesus saves. He has a track record. He addresses the most difficult task head on. He changed water into wine. Do you know why that's such an amazing miracle? The first miracle he did at the wedding of Canaan. Jesus took the most simple, common molecular structure, H2O, and he changed it in a chemical equation through formation to one of the most complicated was simply a word. He was showing, I am God Almighty. I'm the living God. Who else can just speak a word and his word, a child, is made whole? Tabitha, the daughter of Jairus. See, in Mark chapter 5, and 21 through 23, or 43, a young man by the name of Jairus, his daughter was 11 years old, and she was at the point of death. And so he goes in search of Jesus. He says, I need a Savior. Some of you are facing things right now in your life that you need a Savior. And he finds Jesus And he says, Master, my little girl lieth at the point of death, but all she needs is your touch, all she needs is your breath, and she could live again. Talk about faith. So Jesus goes with him. As they're walking to his house, word gets out that Jesus of Nazareth is in the area. A woman who has an issue of blood. She's been sick for 11 years. Interesting that Tabitha's 11 years old, The woman's been sick for 11 years. Huh. God never does acts. There's never a procacious miracle. The issue of blood simply means she has a chronic menstrual cycle. And for some reason, she's losing blood daily, and she doesn't just stop her cycle. And she's weak, probably anemic. And the Bible says she squeezes and fights his way through the crowd. I want you in your mind's eye to picture, here's a desperate father at the elbow of Jesus, and he's pushing him towards his house because his daughter's about to die. He needs a savior. Here's a woman trying to fight her way through the crowd because she is dying. And the Bible says that she reaches out as he passes by, and she touches the hem of his garment or the talit or the prayer cloth, and Jesus stops. And he says, someone has touched me. In Mark's gospel, it says that a disciple at his side said, of course someone touched you, there's a large crowd. However, we think the word disciple, and we immediately think in our Western mentality, well, that must be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the hands selected. But the word disciple simply means follower of. I believe it was Jairus who was in desperate search of a savior. 
And he says, come on, Lord. Come on, my daughter's dying. We don't have time. He goes, no, no, somebody touched me. And virtue flew through my body. In other words, someone touched me with faith. Listen to me. This Easter morning, if you're hanging on by a thread, you make sure it's the thread of Jesus' garment. You make sure you're holding on to that garment of prayer. I'm holding on to you, Lord. Well, the woman is healed. They walk a little further. Oh, friend, we're talking about the kind of Savior you need. And a messenger comes out and says, your little girl has died. Why do you trouble the master anymore? In other words, it's over. It's done. The situation is hopeless. Forget it. Stop bugging Jesus. And you know, there's all kinds of people that will tell you, why are you still praying for that thing? They might even be family members. Why are you still holding on to that dream? Jesus ignores the man, the messenger, and he looks at Jairus, and he said, the little girl is not dead. She's only sleeping. Only believe. All things are possible to them who believe. They go on to his house, and there's mourners there at the house. Oh, don't miss this, because this is God's MO. This is God's mode of operation. I'm talking to you this Easter Sunday about this kind of Savior you need. And when they walk up onto the scene, he's about to do a miracle, but there are many there who don't recognize it, and they start saying, well, at least he he showed up for the funeral. Can you believe this? There will always be those sour people in church. Music's too loud. I don't like this. I don't like that. What does Jesus do? He dismisses all the naysayers. He gets them out of the way. And he brings Peter, James, and John, his three closest associates in the discipleship, to the inner court where he's about to do a miracle. I don't know about you, but when God does a miracle, I want to be on the inside. Let me ask you another eternal question. When God starts a revival in this church, when God does a miracle in your marriage, when God does a miracle in your home, where will he find you? On the porch with the naysayers, all involved in the culture, or on the inside to be a part of a miracle? I want to be on the inside. That's the kind of Savior I need. And he says to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, little girl, arise, and she gets up. And then he says something even more amazing. Not only does he raise her from the dead, not only is he the God of the eternal things, but he's the God of the practical things because then he says, give the baby something to eat. She's hungry. Don't you know that blew the mind of the disciples? You just raised the dead, and the first thing after raising the dead is give her a hamburger? But it shows you he's the everlasting father. He not only cares about your eternal soul, but he cares about the practical things of your life, what you eat, where you live, your daily sustenance. Who else dies on a cross and the sun ceases to shine? Who else is put in a grave and arrives into hell to preach to the spirits and arrives back in the grave only to walk out of the first Easter Sunday morning with the power of the universe in his hand? Some might be saying, oh, come on, Randy. All of that's true, but that was 2,000 years ago. To you, I say, who else still lives? Still saves? Still mends broken hearts? Still turns people's lives around? By him, the miracles are still being done. There is no other name 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth has risen from the dead. There are tens of thousands witnessing through the ages that Jesus is alive and Jesus is well. Who else by his name has healed the prostitute? Who else has restored the murderer? Who else has healed the rape victim? Who else? None other than Jesus of Nazareth. He still lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. This morning, we had an early sunrise service, and I closed with talking about my grandmother, who she would walk through the house every Easter Sunday morning, and she would sing a song that I'll never forget. She would sing it in Spanish and then in English and then a heavenly language. And she would say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me, whatever men may say. I hear his voice of, feel his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. In just the time I need him, he's always near. She had a little bun, you know, and that's when the Holy Spirit would hit her. She'd go, and that bun would hang down by her. It looked like a little slinky. And I'd watch her, and she would just wave her hanky. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how. I know he lives. Oh, you know it. Come on. He lives within my, within my heart. He's in my heart. So you can argue all you want with me. But there is no man that's at the mercy of a man with an argument who's had an experience with the risen Savior. He lives. I want the musicians to come quickly. And I want you to listen to this last final story. In the winter of 1982, Vice President George Bush represented the U.S. at the funeral of former Soviet Union President Leonid Brezhnev. This is a true story. And when I read this story, I wept most of the day. Because Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow. It seems that She stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. At the time, George Bush, our vice president, would be our president. He stood next to her. He went on to say that just as the soldiers touched the lid to close the lid over her husband, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that was most surely would rank of one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and quickly made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest and said a quick prayer. There in the citadel of atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all, she secretly was a Christian, and she hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day, And that that same Jesus might have mercy on her husband. 
You see, she knew that death was not the final word. Even though she'd been told by her husband all her life and the Kremlin all their life that death was the end. Communism and socialism says death is the end. It's all over when we die. But she had a hope in Jesus. She knew there was one who was resurrected, and she hoped her husband might be resurrected also. Friend, that's the kind of Savior I need. The kind of Savior that brings hope in the midst of despair. The kind of Savior that brings life out of death. That's the kind of Savior I need. As they begin to play softly, I want you to think about what you need. Is there something that I said straight from the heart of God? Like I told you when I started that Mr. Johnson, he heard what he wanted to hear. Well, I'm praying you hear what God wanted you to hear. And I'm sensing the very presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. How many can feel? There is a sweet presence of Jesus. And I would never embarrass you, bro, but could you come around and just pray with this man? I don't even know if you know him. But Lord, come here, Pastor. This is Resurrection Sunday. I'm praying for a new beginning in this man's life. Fresh joy. Fresh peace. In the name of Jesus. Right where you're seated. What kind of Savior do you need? Maybe you need healing in your body. If you do, I want you to lay your hands on your chest and begin to pray because your Savior is the healer. Maybe you need a peace that passes all understanding. If you do, I want you to lay your hand on your mind because he says, I am the great psychiatrist. I, I'll bring you peace that passes all understanding. Maybe you need God to fulfill a promise that you've kind of given up on. And he says, I'm the God of hope. I still can do great things in your life. I want you to stand. And I want you right now just to lift your hands towards heaven. And I want you to begin right now to thank him for the resurrection. And I want you to begin to say, Lord, I need a new beginning. I need a new beginning. I need you, Lord, to move in my life. In the name of Jesus. I want you to get ready to sing, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God. That's song we just sang. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I believe. I believe. I have the best Savior. Friends, I told the other services that I don't drive the fanciest. I don't have the best car in Springfield where I live. In fact, I've got a 2003 Toyota Sequoia that I call Shanita. I call her Shanita because she needs a lot of things. <laughs> Poor old Shanita, she's rusting out around the wheel wells and she needs brakes and she needs a new windshield. And she has 345,000 miles on her. She's just running. I don't have the best car. I don't live in the fanciest house. But I do have the best Savior. And that's something we all could have in common.
white or black, rich or poor. He came for all who would believe. And maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're here because it's Easter and that's just what you do. And you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And the Bible said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again on the third day, and you confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. It's that confession with the mouth. He said, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my heavenly Father. Or maybe you're backslid. And you say, well, what is that? Well, the best illustration of backslidden is seen in a couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And they're in their truck that was 50 years old that they bought brand new just before they got married. Dad's driving and mom's sitting over there by the door and she's crying. He said, well, baby, what's wrong? She said, well, when we first bought this truck, we sat so close together. I was almost on your lap. We were so in love. She said, now I'm way over here. He said, baby, I'm still sitting in the same spot. You're the one that slid over. That's what backslid it. Jesus is still driving the thing. He's, he'll never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe over the years, you've just kind of slid away a little. And today, you need to come on back. Or we can have that done to you. It is by a confession of your mouth, Father, forgive me. And he said, I will forgive you and cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Maybe you're going to come to this altar and you're going to pray for someone that needs healing and you're going to stand in intercession for them because you need a Savior that can heal. There is an act of faith that is energized when you step out. And I want you to come. If you'll step out in faith, I believe God will meet you at your need. He'll meet you right here. He is the I am.